So coming back to you, Cynthia, you said your fertility doctor did a workup and then you ended up having a laparotomy, which is a, an open procedure for your diagnosis of endometriosis. Can you tell us about that process? Yes. So we decided to go ahead and do the laparotomy. It was actually done just, I guess, if they saw anything, they were planning to excise the endometrial tissue. But unfortunately, my initial surgery was not successful because when the surgeons went in, the doctors went in, they found the endometrial tissue was around my ureter and around my bowel, also around my left ovary and my left fallopian tube. And it was pretty extensive. They said it was stage four. And so in order to make sure that there was no complications, removing the endometrial tissue from my bowel and from my ureter, they felt more comfortable performing the surgery with the specialists, such as a urologist and a, a rectal surgeon or some type of colon surgeon nearby. And since that wasn't arranged, we had to reschedule the surgery. So I finally did have the surgery. Thankfully, I didn't have any complication that required the specialist to do anything, but it was a relief, I will say, from my symptoms of maybe about 50%. But one of the symptoms I had, which I didn't even know, was that I had endometrial tissue around my colon. And I remember just for years having this intense abdominal discomfort every time I was moving my bowels. As I mentioned, I had mostly diarrhea and loose stools with my periods, but I also did alternate with constipation as well, too. So it was mostly diarrhea during the period, but around the period, like before and after, I would have either one, constipation or loose stools. And I would always feel this intense pain on my left lower abdomen when I was going to have a bowel movement, as if there was like a stricture or something blocking my bowels from moving normally. And I have been to the doctor. I've complained about it. I don't remember what all the things I was told that it was due to, but it was so intense. I just remember almost expecting it every time I had to have a bowel movement, even a significant one, especially when I was constipated and I could feel my bowels moving and it would get to a certain point where it would just, the pain would be so severe. I was holding my breath, holding onto the toilet. It's like, I just kept feeling this is not normal, but no one could figure out what was wrong. I believe I even at this point had maybe even had a CAT scan. No one knew until I had my surgery that it was endometrial tissue wrapped around my colon in that area. When they excised that endometrial tissue since the surgery, I have never had that symptom again. So I just want to encourage your listeners to just, your symptoms are your symptoms and continue to talk about them, continue to try to get a health professional to listen, try your best to keep documentation of it, you know, when it happens, how it happens, how often it happens, you know, just to give some more background information because it will help the provider too, sort of kind of help you come to the diagnosis or the conclusion. But it wasn't that my providers were not listening. They were doing imaging studies. They were doing labs. They were doing x-rays. The diagnosis just could not be made that way. The only way it was found was through a laparotomy. Wow. You know, for our listeners, we're talking to Cynthia. She's a lady that has suffered with chronic pelvic pain and has had fertility issues. And we're going to come to that soon. But I just want to talk about the way we diagnose endometriosis. So, you know, we 
Check for physical clues of endometriosis by number one, doing a pelvic exam. You know, so during the pelvic exam, I, as your provider, I feel areas in your pelvis for abnormalities. In a pelvic exam, you know, we can feel abnormal areas that can clue us to a diagnosis of endometriosis. And then we can also do some diagnostic tests to help us. And some of the diagnostic tests include an ultrasound. The ultrasound uses high-frequency sound waves to create images of the inside of your body. And to capture the images, a device called a transducer is pressed either against your abdomen or inserted into your vagina in a transvaginal ultrasound. And the best view is mostly by a transvaginal ultrasound. And based on the ultrasound, we can tell a patient if they have cysts that are associated with endometriosis. And these cysts are called endometrioma. So we can't make a definitive diagnosis of endometriosis on an ultrasound, but by looking at the ovaries in an ultrasound examination, we can tell if a patient has endometrioma, which is the cyst, the ovarian cyst associated with endometriosis. Other tests that we can do is an MRI, a magnetic resonance imaging. So an MRI is an exam that uses a magnetic field and radio waves to create very detailed images of the organs and tissue within your body. For some, an MRI helps with surgical planning, giving someone like me, your surgeon, detailed information about the location and size of the endometrial implants. And then the last test that we do is a laparoscopy. Now we're talking to Cynthia. Cynthia had a laparotomy. A laparotomy is a bigger incision on your abdomen. But a laparoscopy allows the surgeon to view the inside of your abdomen with a camera. So while you're under general anesthesia, the surgeon makes tiny incisions around your navel and other small incisions. And we're able to look for signs. We're able to look for signs of endometrial tissue outside of your uterus. You know, a laparoscopy can provide information about the location, the extent, and the size of the endometrial implant. And then the surgeon will take a tissue sample, a biopsy for further testing. So these are the ways in which we make a diagnosis of endometriosis. And then once a diagnosis is made, some people are seeking fertility treatment and some people are not seeking fertility treatment. They just want the pain relief. So the treatment usually involves medication or surgery. So we use pain medications to relieve the pain, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. At times we recommend hormone therapy in combination with pain relievers if the patient is not trying to get pregnant. So for listeners, we're talking to Cynthia, a lady that suffered with pelvic pain with her period since she was 
13 years old approximately. So now we're at that phase of your life in which you were trying to get pregnant. So you did have the laparotomy surgery. A diagnosis of endometriosis was made, even though I wish it had been made earlier by the providers. Were you successful in your fertility journey? What happened there? Yes, unfortunately, the hope was that after I had the endometrial surgery that a test called an ovarian reserve was obtained prior to the surgery and it was low. I don't remember the number. The hope was that after the surgery, the number would improve, maybe because the endometrial tissue was on the ovary, but that did not, that was not the case. The numbers never got better. So no, my, our journey was not successful. But you have found a way to cope with that and moved on with your life because now you are in your fifth decade of life. Number one, is the pain better? And how are you with this diagnosis? Because there's some definitive treatment for endometriosis. So number one, is the pain better? Number two, how have you coped? And number three, have you ever looked at definitive treatments for endometriosis? Yeah, so I would say the pain is definitely better. I'm not suffering the way I was suffering before. So to welcome menopause into your life has been definitely a blessing as far as the pain is concerned, uh, bittersweet for the fertility journey. Prior to this, by the way, I, I was on some of the medications that you mentioned, not knowing, I didn't have a diagnosis of endometriosis, but providers had tried different medications and also birth control pills. I have been on those for many years. In fact, quite a few of them, I think only one, did not cause make my pain worse. I actually felt worse pain. It actually was not successful for me. But we did eventually find one birth control pill that did seem to have my body tolerated, and I got some relief from that for a while. I was on Ponstel. I was on NSAIDs. I mean, I was taking so much medication in terms of this and steroids that I ended up with gastritis because the pain was just so severe. But now that I'm in menopause, the medications, I just, I have some cramping here and there, but nothing like what I was experiencing. And I am considering a hysterectomy just to complete the process. I don't think it's necessary to continue to hold on to any residual chance of me having more endometrial tissue that could cause me any discomfort if it's not necessary. I know that's something that I struggled with because I never wanted to have a hysterectomy. So when I had my surgery, that was an option. That was actually recommendation, I should say. And I just wasn't ready. So let me get this straight. You went in for fertility evaluation. That is, you want to have a baby. But then your surgeons then saw the extent of your endometriosis. They called it a stage four endometriosis. And even then, they recommended for you to have a hysterectomy. That's correct. They did. Mm -hmm. They felt that the stage four, it was so extensive. And the look, I guess, maybe a the endometrial growth around my uterus or the look of my uterus. I also had fibroids. They found that as well too. And they just felt that the chances of me having a healthy pregnancy was not, the chances were not good. Not to mention we were already removing my left ovary and fallopian tube, which I had endometrial tissue all over that, that area of my body as well too. And they did let me know that if I didn't do that, I was continue to have pain, which they were correct. I did. I would say 50%, but 50% of 
a significant amount of pain was still a significant amount of pain. And there were many times when I did regret not having the hysterectomy because even though all the, as much as they could remove was removed, I was still in significant amount of pain because I was still having periods and I was still cramping and I would have to take off from work. That's how bad the pain was. Wow. Wow. Now we're talking to Cynthia who has, is sharing her life experience, her journey of a pelvic pain, infertility and endometriosis with a real hope to help somebody out there. And, you know, before we go ahead to talk about some of the coping mechanisms that you've used, I just want to summarize the treatment of endometriosis. Like I said, we have the pain medication, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. These help to ease painful menstrual cramps. And then we have the hormone therapy. Supplemental hormones are sometimes effective in reducing or eliminating the pain of endometriosis. The rise and fall of hormones during the menstrual cycle causes endometrial implants to thicken, break down, and bleed. So hormone medications may slow endometrial tissue growth and prevent new implants of endometrial tissue. Hormone therapy isn't a permanent fix for endometriosis, and patients could experience a return of their symptoms after they stop treatment. So the therapies used to treat endometriosis include hormonal contraceptives, that is birth control pills, patches, vaginal rings, all these help control the hormones responsible for the buildup of endometrial tissue each month. And many women have lighter and shorter menstrual flow when they're using a hormonal contraceptive. And using hormonal contraceptives, especially when we use it in a continuous cycle fashion, may reduce or eliminate the pain in some cases. So that's number one. Number two, we have what we call gonadotropin releasing hormone, GNRH agonist and antagonist. And these drugs block the production of ovarian stimulating hormones, lowering estrogen levels and preventing menstruation. This causes endometrial tissue to shrink. Because these drugs create an artificial menopause, taking a low dose of estrogen or progestin along with this GnRH agonist and antagonist may decrease the menopausal side effects. And some of the side effects that women feel when they are on this GnRH agonist antagonist include hot flashes, vaginal dryness, and some bone loss. So menstrual periods and the ability to get pregnant may return when women stop taking these medications. So there's also the progestin therapy, number three. So a variety of progestin therapies, including intrauterine device, contraceptives, and contraceptive implants, and contraceptive injection, like Depo-Provera, or the contraceptive-only pill, they can stop menstrual periods and stop the growth of endometrial implants, which may relieve endometriosis signs and symptoms. 
And then number four, in the hormone therapy, we have the aromatase inhibitors. So aromatase inhibitors are a class of medicines that reduce the amount of estrogen in the body. And so this may be recommended along with the progestin or combination hormonal contraceptive to treat endometriosis. And so, you know, what Cynthia had was what we call conservative surgery, conservative surgical management. So because at that time she had endometriosis and she was trying to become pregnant, she had surgery to remove the endometriosis implants while eventually her uterus and ovaries were preserved. This is called conservative surgery. And as she stated, you know, she had severe pain from the endometriosis and she did have some benefit from the surgery, though it was not a 100% removal of the pain. Um, we Doctors, we prefer to do this procedure laparoscopically. In her case, she had the traditional abdominal surgery in which she had a laparotomy. Also, for fertility treatment for endometriosis, for couples that are having trouble conceiving, fertility treatment range from stimulating the ovaries to make more eggs, which actually Cynthia did have. It just did not work at that time for her. And then while she was trying to have a baby, she was recommended to a hysterectomy. Now the hysterectomy to treat endometriosis involves also removal of the ovaries in a condition called ophorectomy. So her left ovary was removed. So surgery, hysterectomy, and removal of both ovaries is considered to be the most effective treatment for endometriosis. But moving away from this approach, and instead they are focusing on careful and thorough removal of all endometriosis tissue because having your ovaries removed results in menopause and the lack of hormones produced by the ovaries may improve endometriosis pain in some but not in everybody. So Cynthia had rejected having both ovaries removed and rightly so because early menopause carries a risk of heart and blood vessel disease, cardiovascular disease, and certain metabolic conditions and could even lead to early death. And then removal of the uterus can sometimes be used to treat signs and symptoms associated with endometriosis, such as the heavy bleeding and the painful menses due to the uterine cramps. But this is really the treatment for people trying not to become pregnant. Because even when the ovaries are left in place, a hysterectomy may still have long-term effect on your health, especially if you have the surgery before the age of 35. So Cynthia, you know, just going back, what lifestyle changes did you make to cope with this pelvic pain and, you know, now you are in the fifth decade of your life. What are some coping mechanisms that you would like to share with somebody out there that might be going through this right now? Yes, I can't say I'm doing them actively now, but when I was aggressively focusing on my fertility health, because I started thinking about this in my 30s, 
early 30s, probably at 30 years old, I felt the clock ticking. So I wanted to definitely take my doctor's advice to get outside, do some exercise, walk, make sure I watched my diet, try to eat healthier, cut out my salt intake and, you know, lots of sugars. I was doing a lot of that. I had a very poor diet and I could tell that those things, especially during my cycles, would make my pain worse and make me feel worse. So I tried to do things that would help. So the, the just the watching your diet and your exercise. But as the pain got worse, I have to be honest, it was so difficult to get up out of bed. Even though I knew it probably would help me feel better, I just could not do it. So moving, walking, watching my I didn't do that because I just was, the pain just paralyzed me to the bed. I just felt like I couldn't do the things that I knew would probably help me feel better because of the pain was just so intense. And so in a way you're sabotaging your own health because you want to try to do those things. I even started doing things based on my mother's suggestion. Like she said, when I used to get these periods, I would start taking Tylenol, you know, two weeks before my period to just sort of like, I don't know. And I started doing that. I will say it helped, but who wants, that's not good for your body to take Tylenol, you know, a thousand grams or however many you take in a day, every day for almost a whole month. You know, you're taking it before your period, you're taking it during your period. I did start to meet other women who were going through the same thing. So a support group and also just talk to your provider, your, your doctor. I mean, if you don't find compassion in one provider, find another one, because thankfully I was successful in finding OBGYNs and family doctors who were listening, who were compassionate, who wanted to get to the bottom of my pain, who didn't want me to be in any more pain and didn't just make me feel like that was just something I had to deal with. And also to encourage me to speak up about it and not try to be so stoic because I didn't want to be complaining either. Interestingly enough, throughout all of that, as I started to speak about it more, I learned because I have a lot of sisters and, you know, aunts and everyone else. So at least four of my sisters have, I don't know that they have had the actual diagnosis of of, uh, endometriosis. One did and had surgery, but she had fibroids and endometriosis. The other three had fibroids. My mother and her sisters suffered with miscarriages as they never found out what their reason was, but they all complained of having difficulty getting pregnant and very painful periods. So it's suspected that they may have had it, just didn't know. So now our next generation doesn't have to live with this pain of now two, three generations of women who are struggling to get pregnant, suffering in painful periods, having heavy menstrual cycles, and just thinking it's normal, we can break that cycle. And so as a result of me reaching out, my old sisters are now, and nieces are seeking the attention of their healthcare provider and getting themselves taken care of and getting their diagnosis sooner so that they can have children. So, yeah. Oh, well, well, you know, we're talking to Cynthia, you know, she's just come to share with us her life experiences so that this can help somebody else. And, you know, we're thoroughly grateful for this. Some of the things that patients can do is that there are also clinical trials out there so they can find centers that are, you know, good centers, uh, especially within the United States, clinical trials are testing new treatments, interventions, and they're testing ways to prevent, detect, treat, and manage this condition. So one way is to 
register in a clinical trial. Some of the lifestyle and home remedies that Cynthia did talk about was, you know, using over-the-counter medications like a day before the symptoms come. So like non-steroidals, and this can help ease the painful menstrual cramps, warm baths, a heating pad can help relax pelvic muscles, reduce cramping and pain. And there's alternative medicine. Some people report relief from endometriosis pain after acupuncture treatment. So, you know, people might want to be interested in pursuing this therapy and, you know, just find a reputable acupuncturist. And then the big thing that Cynthia talked about was coping and support. So if you are dealing with endometriosis or its complications, consider joining a support group for women with endometriosis or fertility problems. Sometimes it helps simply to talk to other women who can relate to your feelings and experiences. And if you can't find a support group in your community, look online for one. Another thing Cynthia said that was very important is that make sure your provider is empathetic. Make sure your provider is listening to you and acting on what you're telling them. And if that provider is not doing that, find another one. There is an empathetic provider out there, not only empathetic people that will actually help you. And so before you go into you see your doctor as you make an appointment for this. Some of the things you can do, which Cynthia also talked about, is make a list of any symptoms that you are experiencing. You know, include all your symptoms, even the ones that you think are not related. Include all the symptoms. Make a list of any medications, herbs, vitamin supplements that you are taking. Include how often you take them and the doses. Have a family member or a close friend accompany you, if possible, to the visit. You know, you may get a lot of information from your visit. It may be difficult to remember everything. Nowadays, we have patient portal, which we publish more information, but it would be nice to also take somebody else who is listening along. And then you can take a notepad or an electronic device to make notes during your visit and just prepare a list of questions to ask your doctor. You know, list your most important questions first and be sure to address those points first. And then when you get to the doctor, ask basic questions. How is endometriosis diagnosed? What medications are available to treat endometriosis? Is there a medication that can improve my symptoms right now? What side effects can I expect from medication use? Under what circumstances do you recommend surgery? Will I take a medication before or after surgery? Will endometriosis affect my ability to become pregnant? Can treatment of endometriosis improve my fertility? Can you recommend any alternative treatments I should try? Make sure that you understand everything your doctor tells you. Don't hesitate to ask your doctor to repeat the information. And so as we close, I want to say that the standard of care now is that if there's a patient with endometriosis and there's infertility, the standard of care is to take to surgery, look with the laparoscope, burn, remove the endometriosis, because when this is done early, the fertility rates are much improved and the women have chances of actually getting pregnant. So Cynthia, I'm very grateful to you for sharing your story and your journey with us. 
In closing, what closing remarks or advice would you give a woman out there, whether they're in their teenage years or as a young adult in their 20s or as a woman trying to get pregnant in her 30s or as a woman in her 40s who is trying and maybe not trying as hard anymore and trying to just cope with the pain and have a good quality of life to a woman in her 50s who's now considering maybe I should have definitive surgery for this condition. What advice, please, can you give to women for every stage of their lives? Yes, I want to say first to the parents of young girls to prepare. I would like us to, including myself, I'm a step-parent, I would like to, I did this only because it was so significant for me in better preparing our young girls for their menstrual cycles and talking to them about it. And I think you can only share what you know. So if you don't have the resources, maybe you can look it up together and explore what this stage in their life of menses is going to mean for them called menarche. So they know what to expect. It's not something that they will need to feel ashamed about. We don't even, growing up, when we had our period, we would be shameful of it. We would hide it. We didn't want anyone to know. God forbid you ever had an accident where you leaked. And that happened to me quite a few times because my periods were so heavy. And you just felt like you just would not want to show your face at school again because you just felt the shame when this is a normal part of life. And, you know, girls go through this. You know, we have, if you're a female, I just say, you know, you, this is what you go through. If you're going to have a menstrual cycle for most people, some people don't, but they do. So I would say that we could just try to talk to our young girls and our menstruating children that, or we expect to menstruate about what it means to have a cycle and make them feel comfortable coming to you to talk about how they feel, if they feel sick, if they're cramping, if they're passing clots, a safe place for them to come to. So we need to open the doors as parents about that. Secondly, I would say that the thought of what your period means and fertility is not something people think about in their teenage years most of the times. I know I didn't. Again, I said I didn't start thinking about that till I was about 30. So there is a lot of people who are concerned about that. The only way you know is to get your regular checkups. You have to see your, your gynecologist. Some family doctors are doing pelvic exams. If you feel comfortable with your family doctor and they perform the test there, you can get it done there. But I highly recommend we not miss our checkups just for our own, you know, reproductive health, our menstrual health, and also just the screenings for cancer, for any type of infections. We just have to be our own advocates and to speak up and have an open conversation and make sure you feel comfortable having that conversation with your provider. And if you don't, like we discussed, find someone else. You can also, if you're not ready to have children and you're concerned about that, they can do, you know, Retrieve your eggs and save them, you know, for when you are ready for fertility. That is definitely something that, interestingly enough, I actually visited a provider in my mid-30s. Egg donations and retrievals was not as popular as it was then. So that was not even really even discussed during my visit until later on. Would just say if you're having painful periods to talk about it, to not feel ashamed, but it's not normal. 
It's not normal to have pain that requires you to stay in bed all day, to be doubled over in pain, to have pain that shoots down your legs like mine was into my toes, to the pain in your back, to mood changes, sure. Cramps, yes. Bleeding and with occasional clots, yes. But I remember at times I could actually tell when I was going to pass a clot. The pain would become so intense and I would pass a clot bigger than a half-size dollar. And I just could not believe that this was, I mean, at this point I knew it wasn't normal and I was already seeing a doctor, but I don't want any woman to think that you should have that type of pain. Never. And even if you go to your doctor and they say, we found nothing, at least you got it checked out because the earlier you do it and the sooner you do it, you're putting the future of your health and what you choose to do, whether you choose to have children or not have children or just lead a regular life. Go to work every day like you want to and be productive without having to plan your life around your period. It puts you in the driver's seat because you're an advocate for yourself. And so I would definitely just recommend just to pay attention to what kind of patterns are you having with your periods. If you're concerned about if your clots are too big, that's something you may want to take a picture of and just show it to your doctor. Is it normal to have clots this big or you're going through a whole pack of pads? That's not normal. It's just not normal. So I would much rather women think that their cycles are not normal than to think that they are normal. And we pass it on to generation to generation, only to find out years later that all the things I was told from my siblings, older siblings, aunties, mother, that it was not even normal for them, you know, that they actually had some type of pathology that they didn't even know about. So the stories don't come later on until later on you get to be an adult. You don't feel, I guess that generation doesn't feel comfortable sharing these stories with their children. So my mother didn't even tell us she had a miscarriage until we were all adults, you know, or that she had difficulty getting pregnant or, you know, just so many things that just weren't shared. So I would say to open up the conversation in the family about those things. And if you don't feel that you can get that from your family, talk to your provider. I'm very fortunate to have met Dr. Sagadi and the fertility specialists that I've met before and before that, that are caring doctors who will listen and do care. So thank you, Dr. Sagadi, and thank you for allowing me to share my story. Wow, Cynthia, thank you so much. This is helping, you know, I'm moved with tears because I've known you and you're such a strong and powerful woman. You've gone through so much. And somehow you still have your joy and your peace. And this is just such a powerful life story that you have shared with us. So I just want to thank you so much for your time here at Coco Pods. I want to thank you for the knowledge that you have shared, for the experience you have shared, the knowledge you've imparted. I just want to Thank Thank you. you. And, you know, just God's blessing uh, for the rest of your life, you know, because there's still much more (laughs) to life. You're full of joy. You're full of happiness. I'm just so grateful and happy to see that in you, despite everything that you've gone through. So thank you. you. Thank you. I did want to add another thing, too, for women in relationships. This is important because endometriosis caused sex to be very painful for me. And I also felt a lot of guilt not being able to have sex when my husband wanted to or to be more active or not to enjoy as much. It's not that I didn't enjoy because he was very sensitive to 
the fact that I was in pain or that my periods would last a long time or that there were some months where I was either on my cycle having a discharge or having cramps. So that was the whole month. And then the next month would be the same thing again. And that's, and so it puts so much on you. You're already in pain. You're already going through so many tests and ultrasounds and CAT scans and this and blood draws. And, and then you're trying to also have an intimate relationship with your partner. So just don't blame yourself. I just want women to know that you didn't do this to your body. Sometimes our bodies fail us and we just have to sort of meet our bodies halfway and do the things we know we need to do. And as I mentioned before, there are times when I know I should get out and walk. I should get some sun. I should do exercise. I should take my pills, I, you know, my medication. I, but I just felt so exhausted. If you're bleeding, you're probably ended up anemic, you know, so you're fatigued. It's so many things that's on you. And then you're adding the pressure of not being able to please your spouse or have an intimate relationship. And so I just want to ask women, please don't do that to yourself. I pray that everyone listening has a partner that is sensitive to the pain and the experience you're going through. And especially in my stage now, now after going through all of that, two surgeries, years of pain, years of medications that didn't work, years of everything, I'm still at the point where I'm mourning. I did all of that and I was not mm -hmm. successful. And you could end up in a situation where now you have to add on top of that, that you've let down your spouse, that you left down your husband. And I just don't want us to do that to ourselves. Uh, God has a plan for each of us. Why this was my path, I don't know. But I don't feel that I didn't do everything in my power. I just was misinformed. And I'm a healthcare professional. So some of these things I didn't even pursue. And I had medical contact and connections. So that's just to show you how far we've gotten. Now you're seeing billboards and flyers and paraphernalia that says, in commercial, TV commercials that tells you this is not normal, but we weren't seeing these commercials in the 1980s and 90s and even early 2000s. This is something recent. I just want to encourage you in your relationships. I pray you're with someone who's supportive of you. And if you're not, don't allow yourself to be blamed for what your body's not able to do. You're suffering and you deserve all the love and support you can get. So I just wanted to add that piece. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Sagat.